Welcome to the Cattle Call podcast. In the research call of the month, we called Dr. Tara Felix from Penn State University. If you want to hear more about Dr. Felix's career, do not miss the opportunity to hear our previous episode. It was an amazing call. In the call of the day, Dr. Felix talked about a research project that she's currently developing and also her perspective on the use of beef semen on dairy cows. Stay tuned and enjoy the call. Hello, Tara. Hello, Pedro. How are you today? I'm well. How about yourself? Great, great. Is it a good time for a call? It's always a good time for a cattle call, Pedro. Nice, Tara. So after having a really nice career call with Dr. Felix, today we are going to talk a little bit more about a, a work that she's doing at Penn State in the whole Northeast that's investigating the use of beef bulls in dairy cows and in producing the crossbred beef dairy steers. Tara, can you tell us a little bit more how you came up with the idea of this project and what are guys doing today? Sure, Pedro. So um, we have been working on purebred Holsteins as feedlot models for a number of years, and that was Pedro's entire dissertation, right? So we'd spent uh, several years investigating ways to make Holsteins profitable in the feedlot. And um, around, uh, we, we began that research around 2016. And in 2016, we were able to, to be very profitable at that enterprise, as, as a lot of people nationwide were. But shortly after 2016, the economics were quite variable. And there were still opportunities to be successful. But we saw more and more of these crossbred beef on dairy calves in the supply chain. And as we saw more and more of those, it became harder to source load lots of, of purebred Holsteins. So in addition to that, and, and the, the shift we saw in the purebred Holsteins in the feedlot, I began having more water cooler conversations with my dairy colleagues and at Penn State, and specifically Dr. Kevin Harvatine, about the trends that they were seeing on the dairy side with the, the rising use of, of beef semen. So in 2019, uh, together with Dr. Kevin Harvatine and uh, Dr. Chad Deckow and our Chester County Livestock Agent, Cheryl Fairburn. We wrote a grant, a USDA CARE grant that was ultimately funded in 2020 to investigate the use of beef semen and dairy cows. That's great. So, and that's a trend that's, I, I believe that's happening the whole country. It's also here in California. It's in the Northeast and other places that have large dairy industry uh, on those states. So what is specifically you guys want to investigate in this project? Uh, what are you guys doing right now? In which stage of the project are you right now? Well, I think specifically, Pedro, we're interested in determining are there, are there single traits or are there multiple traits that we could put into an index that would make sense for the beef on dairy system. Now, a lot of industry uh, folks have done this, right? Wholesome has a terminal index, although not publicly available. There is a terminal index they're using to select those cemental bulls. Angus has, has published just August 2020, published their Angus Holstein index along with their Angus Jersey index. But what makes our, our research project a little bit different is that we're trying to develop these indices with the, the end product, the progeny in mind. We want to have actually tested these sires and these traits that we're interested in in feedlot animals. And right now that's where the data are lacking, uh, both on the, the research side, on the academic side and industry side. We, you know, the, the uptick in the, the sale of beef semen really only started as recently as 2017 into 2018. And so given the generational interval of cattle, we've just 
started just last year beginning to kill those load lots of crossbred calves. And so it's not a disparaging remark on the indices that are available in the industry right now. It's simply reality that we just don't have the data that we need to put the progeny performance to those indices yet. That's pretty good. Uh, yeah. we, last month, we had a talk with Fernanda Ferreira from here in California, and she showed that for the dairy industry or the dairy farmer, it's been a really good profit animal, and, and they are making money from that animal. And, and I agree, the biggest question now is, what about the feedlot? Are the feedlots making extra money from that crossbred or not? Are they performing better or not? Uh, is, do you have anything to share with us about that? Have you seen any, let's say, promising results and things that maybe you you could see as, as a potential for the future? You're absolutely right, Pedro. I think that's that's exactly where we are right now. It's a it's a really good thing for the, the dairy side. And again, because of the generational interval, that's where we have the most data right now. The, the dairy is getting paid handsomely for those calves at the moment. Um, but in terms of promising data, so at Penn State, we've, we finished the first uh, batch of these calves last year. Now, unfortunately, again, because of generational interval, we were dealing with tomatings that were already uh, in place when we got the grant. But what we did see is that on average, those crossbred calves brought about three inches more ribeye area to the carcass than, than the purebred Holstein. Now, it was a small data set, I agree, and this is something we would have to investigate further. I I do think even in our small data set, and you hear this industry-wide as well, that one of the greatest challenges that we're facing with the crossbred animals is the lack of uniformity. You know, the way the feeder makes their money, the way the feeder makes their money is when they sell load lots to the packer, they have nice uniform lot. And the Holsteins provided that. The purebred Holstein is genetically so similar that we can get very similar load lots of, of Holstein cattle. We have figured out and, and we have managed genetics of beef calves such that we can get very similar load lots of native beef calves. But now when we put those two breeds together, and particularly when we're using we're using Simmental sires, we're using Charlet sires, we're using limousine sires, we're using Angus sires, and dear God, we use some Angus sires from the 1980s. Well, now we have variability across the board. And, you know, a quarter of those calves will look really good and maybe look like native beef cattle. And a quarter of those calves are going to grade Holstein. And we saw that in our, our project last year. We had we had several of those calves that we knew were crossbreds and brought Holstein prices because of the shape of the ribeye and the length of their carcass. And then we have 50% of those calves that are, are kind of a black box that in a commodity beef system where we have to produce a product that fits in a box to be shipped globally, we can't handle that type of variability right now. And, and the industry recognizes that. And I think as an industry, everyone's working towards the goal of how do we fix that lack of uniformity uh, that we've we've kind of bred into the system now. Absolutely. I, I totally agree with you. I remember going back to fall of 2019. Yes, that's the last load of cattle that, that I slaughtered at Penn State. Uh, and I remember going to JBS and ask Mike Hagan, who was the JBS person who used to work with us. And I asked him, what is what is the best cross that you're seeing right now? And and I remember exactly like it was today, he's saying the hostings. The hostings are the best cross for, for us, for the industry, just because the lack of uniformity that you just mentioned, like they, they were getting really nice calves, but that was only, let's say 25%, like you said, of the, the whole load. And then you lose the, the best thing, one of the best things that we have from the hostings years that's 
knowing what you're getting. That's what exactly that's what right. he said. When I get a lot of hostings, I know what I'm getting. And that's part of a lot of your work at Penn State. And before that, before we started to feed more grain to those animals, we started using technologies. Even the hosting steers were not that, that uniform, I would say. So if we feed them properly, we know what we are getting from the hostings. Then we bring this all of these crosses and we start to using that that uniformly. And and I think that's one of the biggest challenges right now for, for the crossbred. And it's not only deciding what is the best breed, but maybe deciding what are the best bulls within breed. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. There's a lot of variability based on what specific production system that bull is being selected for. You take the Angus breed, for example. We have really good maternal bulls in the Angus breed, but the Angus breed is becoming a more terminal breed. Uh, if you look at the NCBA audit, it's, you know, 60% of our calves coming through the packing houses are better or black hided. Well, they're getting those black hides from the Angus breed, right? Predominantly and scimitol. But those bigger terminal sires may not be what's desirable. In fact, if you look at the Angus Holstein index, the frame size is a detriment in that index and, and same the wholesome index. So because the Holstein already has such a large frame. So you're absolutely right. This variability is something that we need to narrow down, not to just a breed, but a sire within a breed specifically. And that's exactly what we're attempting to do through the USDA project. We're testing several sires and several sires within breeds and tie the, the performance of the calves, not back just to the EPDs, but to the genetics of that sire specifically. That's amazing. I'm, I'm looking forward for that and to see those numbers because that's something that's growing. And my question now is, and we are integrating a system, right? We are getting the dairy system and integrated with a beef system, which has been integrated for for a while with the hosting steer. And that's something that I, I'm always asking myself, what how do you see the future? Where do you see this crossbred in the future? Are we going to still see them? I've talked with some people and they've said, oh, this is not a new thing. I've seen this beef on dairy coming and going, coming and going. How do you see that? Do you think because of the advantage or the advanced reproduction technology that we have right now, is that something that came to stay and we have to understand better before it goes away. How do you see the future of, of this technology, I would say, for the dairy beef system? Yeah, that's a great question, Pedro. This absolutely isn't a new topic. We're, we're talking about it like it's a very novel topic. But if you start to dig into the scientific literature around beef on dairy crossbreds, it goes back to the 1980s. In fact, the bulk of the literature was published in the 1980s. So this isn't something necessarily new that we are doing. I think the approach is different, right? Um, and the approach is different than it was in 2016 when we first just started pulling all the black semen out of the tanks and sticking it into the dairy cows. The industries are coming together now and working in a much more concerted effort uh, to produce a calf that, that should be beneficial to both systems, right? And, and it absolutely has to be. Right now, the industry, the dairy industry is benefiting quite well, as we talked about. And, and we have to make sure that that benefit uh, remains through all the way to the packer. Otherwise, otherwise, the model will not be sustainable. Now, with the efforts that both sides of the industry, or I should say all three sides of the industry, dairy, beef, and packer are putting on, on this information now on, on actually gathering information from these sires, gathering data from these calves. 
I do think that the model will become more sustainable. I do think given the technologies that we have with sex semen and genetic potential in the dairy herd and evaluating genetic potential in the dairy herd, that the crossbreds are likely here to stay if, if they benefit the, the commodity beef production system, because ultimately that's, that's where they're going to have to shine. If we, can, if we can figure out the variability, if we can figure out the bulls that are going to make calves that are more profitable than a purebred Holstein, uh, in the feedlot, then the system is likely here to stay. Where dairies are not going to go backwards in terms of, of making more heifers. That's not a sustainable model. The heifer is a very expensive animal to raise given her production cycle. It takes a long time before we can start making money on that dairy heifer. And so we've got to come up with a system for the dairy to, to get rid of these calves that make sense, but also uh, for these calves to make money for the feeder. Yeah, I, I agree. I remember talking last talk with Fernanda and she mentioned that the cost of raising a heifer here in California is $2,000. If you want to sell them, you're going to get like $1,100. So it's that's right. It's probably going to sell for the half of the price that it costs to raise. So I think that's something that's going to stay in our industry. One last uh, quick question is how are producers in Pennsylvania feeding those animals? Are they feeding them similar to the hostings or they are going closer to a, a beef breed animal? How do you, you see people doing that in the Northeast? That's a great question, Pedro. Um, right now, there's a lot of variability in that as well. And as you pointed out, when we began researching the purebred Holsteins as a feedlot model, there was a lot of variability in that model. Now, almost everybody puts Holsteins through what we call the calf-fed model, where we, we start them heavy on grain early on and finish them heavy on grain. Personally, my hypothesis is that's going to be the best model for the crossbreds. I do think that they shine in production settings similar to Holsteins, remembering that 50% of their genetic potential is Holstein genetics, right? I do see, though, a number of folks purchasing these calves to use in more traditional forage type backgrounding systems. And that's where I think the variability has the potential to come out. When we, when we try to grow these calves on a lower plane of nutrition, I think it's possible that in some cases, the whole scene frame can thrive. In other cases, the efficiency uh, on forage of the beef uh, genetics can thrive. And, and we end up introducing more variability into the model than we can really handle. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree. Maybe some of this variation that you've seen is because we have to figure out the best way to, to feed them. And I think right now, feeding them as, as the calf-fed hosting might be the best option to to decrease that. That's really good, Tara. I appreciate it. I think we, we had a nice conversation here. I don't know if you have any final thoughts. And also, I want to ask you, how can we follow your work? I know that you and, and Bailey, your PhD students, you're working on that. I'm looking forward to see the results. I know that you produce a lot of content, a lot of information as an extension at Penn State. How can we follow your, your work and know more about this, this project? Well, I hope you will. And the easiest way to do that is through extension.psu.edu. The results of Bailey's first feeding trial, where we compared purebred Holsteins to crossbreds, is published um, in an article on extension.psu.edu. In addition, there's a video of those cattle, if you're interested 
interested in seeing what those cattle look like in the feedlot and the comparison of those cattle, uh, that video is available at extension.psu.edu as well. Perfect. I will leave all of the, the video in the in the Penn State Extension website description in the in the link uh, below this episode here. And also Dr. Felix information if you want to contact her to know more more about it. So I, I would like to thank you, Dr. Felix, once again for participating and, and having this great call with us. It is my pleasure and and it's good, always good to talk with you and, and hear from, from the great work that you are doing in Pennsylvania. Thank you very much. Do you have any, any final thoughts, any final message to our listeners? Well, I just say thank you, Pedro. I think it's it's great that we're getting the information out there. I think one of the, the biggest um, challenges as an industry is how divided we are. I, call, I always call it the disintegrated system as, a, as opposed to the swine and poultry models that are integrated, right? But conversations like this cattle call help get us all on the same page. So I applaud your efforts. Thank you very much, Tara. I appreciate it again. And thank you for this call. To our listeners, always remember that's always a good time for, for a cattle call. Thank you for spending your time with us. And I hope you guys have a good day. Thank you. Singing this lonesome cattle call.